If you have a Bible with you, would you like to find the verses that Louise just read out for us? Isn't that good? Uh, so that is Ephesians chapter 3, and we're going to look today, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. And uh, just to say ahead of time, read it in a moment, if you're here, you're listening to this today, and you are under the age of 12, and you want to write out this verse, or write out these verses, colour it in, come and show me next week, I'm going to give you a sweetie. Oh, obviously can't do that this week. Um, and if you're under 12, and you think you can memorise verse 20 off by heart, in a translation of your choice, then you come and find me, and you tell me, and I'll give you a sweetie. If you can memorise both verses, you'll get two sweeties. If you can memorise one of the verses, and then when I ask you a question, very casually, don't worry, it's not exam conditions, um, a little bit what, what that means, and how that helps us to pray, you get two sweeties. No one has to bring their birth certificate. <laughs> so, if you want to come and find me, and everyone who's genuinely under 12 has had an opportunity, and there's still some sweeties left, then you can come and find me as well before I polish them off. Okay. Um, at, and if you take one of those sweeties, or two of them, show them, before mum, show them to mum and dad, or the adult that cares for you, before you consume, all right? I will look for something that has no trace of nuts, but probably will have a trace of gelatin. My hands are clean, okay? <laughs> um, right, sorry. That's the first inappropriate reference to food on a day when lots of us are fasting. Okay, so Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 and verse 21 say this now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever amen and if you are joining us today to pray and, and for, later on, I hope this will be encouragement uh, to us. If you're not able to do so, that's absolutely fine. But when you pray, or indeed when you fast, whenever that might be, I pray that this will be an encouragement to you about the one to whom we are praying. I think Paul does this in a couple of places. He shows in what he writes just how persuaded he is of how great God is and therefore, because he's so persuaded of how great God is, he prays some pretty massive prayers. He's done, he's done this here in chapter 3. You see, what he often does is he'll, he'll take a few chapters to tell us how wonderful, how awesome the gospel is, the, the good news that's in Jesus, that can cleanse us from all sin, that can transform us inside out, that can get us ready for eternity, that can join us together to be part of God's church on planet earth, people of, of all sorts of different backgrounds, ethnicities, differences in life, 
but who are joined together to be God's special people forever. He's blown away by that. He'll take a few chapters to tell us. He'll then break out into prayer before, before he tells us, this is the life that it leads to. This, this, is, this is what it does to how we live our lives. And so, you know, he start, in a way, he even starts at the beginning of chapter 3, and then he gets carried away again. He says, for this reason, I, Paul, and he's about to tell us what he's praying, he interrupts himself, I have to wait till verse 14 when he says again, for this reason, for this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, and if you were here a few weeks, maybe a couple of months ago when, when Jeremy was last with us, he, he took us through this next statement. Um, may have power, together with all God's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. That's his massive prayer. I want you to know, believers in Ephesus, I want you, Christians of Sheffield, to know the amazing dimensions of God's love in, in every single direction. But then he'll go on to say, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. I want you to know it, but you'll never be able to know it. You'll never be able to get your head all the way around it. This love has dimensions that literally blow our minds. This immeasurable love. And then he, he wraps up in this way, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. You could say, it could be argued, that is the biggest prayer that has ever been prayed. That, that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That's why in saving us, God is getting us ready for an eternity with him so that we might be those who are filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. You will be if time is measured in the same way, um, you could be with God in heaven for 10,000 years and your breath is still being taken away by how amazing God's grace is, by how amazing his kindness is, by how amazing his forgiving power is. We will we'll be looking at each other. We'll still be pinching ourselves with the wonder of it all, of being filled up to that fullness for eternity and after 10,000 years we'll be like and we haven't we haven't even started we haven't even we haven't even scratched the surface so that's that's what Paul has been praying about in this prayer and then he wraps it up in this way to him who's able to do immeasurably more and um, I'm gonna I'm gonna suggest that in praying such big prayers uh, Paul was would you believe it he was persuaded of at least three things and then I'm going to give you three other examples from the Bible of what we're looking at right now. So firstly, I think that what this reveals is the sheer generosity of God. We could, we could jump straight to talking about God's immeasurable power, his ability to answer prayer, and we'll get there in a moment. But what we're considering, what I want you to consider to start with, is the sheer generosity of God that enables us to come and ask him for big 
things, just in the way that he, just, just think it would, it would be true for Paul to have wrapped up in this way. And this would be good. Now to him who is able to do what we ask him. That would be telling the truth to him who's able to answer prayer. He could have just wrapped it up like that. But he doesn't. He could have just wrapped it up now to him who is able to do all that we ask. He could have stopped there. But he goes a bit further. Now to him who is able to do all we ask or imagine. He could have stopped there, but he keeps going. Now to him who is able to do more than all we ask or imagine. He's, he's really going to town on this. He's thoroughly persuaded. Now to him who is able to, and now he has to make up a word. He, I think he made this word up himself. And now it's been translated into English as immeasurably. He, he's, it's like me if I said, you know, imagine a superhero, design, you know, be drawing your superhero right now. And I said, well, it's kind of like Superman, but it's more. I'm asking you to draw a picture of super duper hyper califragilistic expialidocious man. Can you draw a pic? Can you design a superhero this morning? I can't even repeat that. It's like he's made the, he's made the word up himself. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. If, like Paul, we are thoroughly persuaded of that, I think we are thoroughly persuaded that God is generous. Now, here's another inappropriate food-related uh, sermon illustration. I thought it would come through in all the prophetic words this morning. We had it with a psalm a little bit, taste and see, on a day. Um, so did you hear the one, this is a couple of weeks ago now, about the, the, the variety box of chocolates? Oh, forgive me, this is bad form, I know. You tell me later on. The, the variety box of chocolates that goes by the name of celebrations. Um, in terms of your Christmas preparations, uh, other variety boxes are available. And you might be wise to pursue that because I've been told that there's a certain type of, of chocolate that has been removed from select boxes of celebrations. Can I hear an outraged, ooh, whoa. So I think this is terrible. Okay, I could understand if the peanut-related Snickers bar was taken out of the variety box. I know it's controversial. I know it's divisive. But can, why should we go? I've even worn a colour to match it somehow. Um, why should we go without the bounty? What, what says decadence, paradise, abundance... Like the bunty. Bunty? <laughs> it's time for a coffee. The bounty. I think it's outrageous. I'm now going to hide this. Don't worry. Um, I was going for a walk one morning a few weeks ago, and I was, I was kind of thinking about this as I, as I, as I prayed, and I thought, I want, just the word bounty, it, it does speak of kind of riches, doesn't it? It kind of speaks of something that's lavish and over the top. And we're living in a, in a time in, in this nation now where we're kind of expecting things to really, really get tight. You know, one, one kind of crisis after another. And it's like in this great kind of variety box of life, 
yeah, that, we'll, we'll make it through this Christmas and all that jazz. But it, it, there's that sense in which, well, the bounty's been taken out. The generosity is gone. And as believers in, in God, that mindset coming from the worries of this world could start to choke our faith in the goodness of God. And we kind of think, yeah, we're still celebrating. There's still a celebration. There's still lots of variety in the box. There's still amazing things about God. And I love God. But you just got to understand right now, it's you know, the bounty, the generosity, the, uh, the over-the-top abundance has been taken away. It's gone now. And don't you believe it. God knows how to provide. He knows how to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. Sometimes when times are tough and when we might be nursing our own uh, disappointments, we start to pray less and pray smaller. But as this demonstrates, Paul prays big pray, prayers very purposely. He is a man who could sometimes be perplexed at how life had got hard. He knew what it was to have plenty and he knew what it was to have not very much at all. He knew what it was to be shipwrecked. He knew what it was to be beaten. Uh, he knew what it was to be lowered through a window because people were about to try and kill him. And yet he's thoroughly persuaded of the goodness of God. He's thoroughly persuaded because he has a revelation of the gospel. Come what may, read the first three chapters. God has revealed in Christ for all who will call on him a way of salvation that wipes every sin away. This is a generous God. He worked it out. He planned. He prepared. And he did everything necessary so that by dying on the cross, he could forgive us once and for all, forever, of everything we have ever done that has hurt or offended God, that hasn't lived up to uh, his standards. Paul, he, like I say, he coins a new word just to talk about it. This is demonstrated here. It's demonstrated in the generosity of God. It's also demonstrated by his power, the power that is at work. God is powerful. Now, if you chat, if you, if, I think people who like are quite strong are, are actually secretly hoping that you'll ask them to do something that means that they get to demonstrate their strength. I don't think that's un unhelpful, bad pride or whatever. I just think, well, as a me, I've worked out quite a lot. I'm not speaking personally. I've worked out quite a lot. <laughs> I'm quite strong. I want to be able to serve others with my strength. And do you know what the ultimate test of strength is? As when I say it, you'll get it straight away. But you know, it's like the world's, world's strongest man competition. They go through a few different challenges. There's the, these massive kind of, what are they called? Like atlas stones, like just huge, huge spherical stones. And they like grab them, oh, get them up, put them on top of a podium. They've got to do that first. And then they have to run to the next station, have to pick up a car and move it like a wheelbarrow. Put it down, right. And get to the next station, oh, specially built podium. And on the podium, the jam jar that just won't open. It's right there. <laughs> A jam jar that's just right open. And um, you go up to the jam jar. You've had this experience loads of times. And you press the lid. The seal's not been broken. The button won't press. Like, who can break the seal? And, and so you're try you've tried everything. Oh, 
in, like, how does in between the knees help? But you put it in between your knees, that's not working. It's like your hands are getting a bit sticky. It's like, get the tea towel. Why is that going to help? But you think it might. You get the tea towel. That's just, it's just, that's not, that's not helpful at all. And you pass it to me. I haven't been working out. What's the point in doing that? But I'll give it a go. No, I can't do it either. I mean, I try hard, obviously. And what I'm going to do then at that point is I'm just going to go find Tom. I'm going to go up to Tom. I say, Tom, can you open this jar for me? And you know what Tom's going to do? He's going to get his little finger. <laughs> and just like polishing a glass. You know, he's just going to go, Wah. there we go. I'm going to thanks, Tom. I think I loosened that for you. <laughs> and he passes it back. Because if, if someone's struck, they don't, they're, they're, they're happy to demonstrate that strength for our benefit. And, and God has demonstrated awesome power. This is again what will come through in so much of the letter of Ephesians and the sorts of things that, that Paul has already been saying about the power of God, that power that is at work within us, that power that he exerted in Jesus. If God can raise Jesus from the dead, he can do you good in any situation. Whatever's happened, whatever mistake you might have made, you might think, I, I don't have the power in my little finger or my whole body. I don't have the willpower. I do not have the strength to make myself right with God. I don't have the strength to turn over a new leaf. Leaf? Leaf? I can't do it. I know where I've fallen short and there's nothing I can do. I know where I've messed up. How could God ever come to me? How could God choose me? Why would God do that? I know what I'm like. I know where I've been. I know what I've done. There's no hope for me. You've got to understand. I understand there's a hope for a few of you because you look nice. But I, there's no hope for me. Where I've been. And the power of God that could raise Jesus from the tomb is the power of God that can come to you right now any moment when you call on him and with his almighty little finger open you up to a whole new life of knowing God now and forever. And we know that God is generous and God is powerful and I think Paul's also persuaded of God's glory. Uh, for me, that is the clincher in encouraging us to pray. Why? Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church. I'm going to suggest to you that the Lord God Almighty our Saviour Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit have not changed. That The generosity has not tailed off. Power of God has not tailed off. And God's desire for the name of Jesus to be glorified in his church has not tailed off. So when we, as God's church, come to him and persuaded of his goodness, his greatness, and his power and his generosity, bring big requests to him, he wants to answer because he wants Jesus to be glorified. And if he wants Jesus to be glorified, we can pray some pretty big things. Let me give you three examples uh, from around the scripture 
where I think we see this. We see someone asking. Maybe we'll look at a couple, on a couple of these different examples. You'll think, is that person asking or is it kind of that they're, they're imagining? Okay, he's, he's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. So I'm going to show you three examples from the Bible. It says faith comes from hearing. So I'm not just kind of, if I just found other stories from out there in a contemporary situation, we can all think, well, that's really encouraging for them. I'm just not sure it's going to happen for us. It doesn't build faith like the word of God builds faith. So we're coming to the scripture. I'm going to give you three examples of how God has already done immeasurably more than all that somebody asked or imagined. Are you ready for number one? Okay, for number one, we'll go for some familiar territory to start with because we've been in Acts. And so we're going to go to Acts chapter 7 and verse 60. Well, verse 59. And we were, we've been looking at this last week with Richard's help. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. That was part of the beautiful and ugly moment of Stephen's martyrdom that we've been looking at last week. So if you're ever wondering, who was it? Who was praying for Saul to be saved? Who, who, is, who is imagining that Saul might be saved? Here in the scripture, maybe there were other people praying. But perhaps this is the only occasion when a Christian was praying for Saul before his Damascus Road experience. Now can you see how much immeasurably more God can do than all Stephen asked or imagined? What did Stephen have in mind? What was he imagining? But he, he was really praying, don't hold this against them, Lord. These people who are stoning me. And it says in the very next verse, and Saul approved of their killing him. Um, and we, we see so elsewhere that, that, that Saul was holding the coats of others so that they could go and pick up the stones. I don't know if that makes him like just the dog's body or the ringleader, but he was right there and he was approving of Stephen's death. Now just start to think immeasurably more. The request, don't hold this against them. Wasn't answered immediately. It says, Paul approved of their killing. A few verses later in chapter 8 verse 3, but Saul began to destroy the church going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Chapter 9, Verse 1, he's still going. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples that resulted in him going to the high priest, getting the letters of permission so he can go to Damascus and destroy the church some more. 
have some more Jesus believers executed. Let's, talk, let's just have a look at how he describes it himself later on. Looking back, 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1. And he says this in verse 14. Well, in verse 13, let's read from there. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our... See, he has experienced the profound generosity of God. The, the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. So the Lord God Almighty heard Stephen praying and thought, I'm going to land... That guy over there, the violent persecutor who should know better, I'm not going to hold this against him. And by my Holy Spirit working in his life, I'm going to draw him to myself. And I'm so, oh, this is just funny really, I'm, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to so turn him around that he doesn't just manage to avoid the temptation to stone people in the future. He totally goes the other way. Rather than travelling from place to place to destroy the church, he's going to travel from place to place to plant new churches. He's, he, the man who was so angered that Gentiles could come to faith is going to become <laughs> the apostle to the Gentiles. Would you agree with me that that is God doing immeasurably more than all that Stephen could ask or imagine? Does that not give us wonderful encouragement? Come on, Mary, yes! Does that not give us wonderful encouragement to pray for everybody that we can think of so that they come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? What if we did exactly the same thing in a year's time and we like, look back over the year and we can think of, well, that person got baptised. That's amazing. Their story, their testimony, it began. My mum took me along to mini kids. She did it for years, and I heard the stories, and that's, that's where it started for me. And someone else is going to say, my, my neighbour invited me to come to a carol service. And uh, do you know what? That's, that's where it started for me. Someone else might say, I was new to the country. I didn't know that many people. And someone said, we're throwing a party. Why don't you come along? And it was called Celebrate the Nations or something. Do you know what? I went along. And I think that's where it started for me. Someone else... and. Every parent and church leader is delighted by this. And others will say, do you know what? I was born in a Christian family. I grew up going to church. And I heard the stories. And do you know what? At the age of something or other, I realised I needed to give my life to Jesus. And, I, and faith came in my own heart. That's why I'm getting baptised today. Is that not the privilege of praying? And you could be praying for your, your worst enemy. That person who makes... The office environment or the staff room, just so difficult. And it, it, there's hostilities right there. You kind of, you know, sometimes we kind of meet the really nice person and think, well, they, they, they're already practically a Christian. Lord, just get them over the line. 
because we just make the mistake of thinking that Christians are nice people, and most of the time they aren't. Anyway, um, we can kind of pray for who we think might be easy targets. Oh, they're already halfway there. Just, I can pray for them. No, pray for the person who just is running away in the other direction at a thousand miles an hour. They can know the grace of God as we get together and pray. Let us pray for a multiplication of salvation, of baptisms, of new disciples in Jesus' name. And let's thank God that it's already happening. And if that sounds a bit weird, because you're here and you're not yet a believer in Jesus, you're like, well, it, it feels a bit odd to know that other people are praying for me. That feels a bit awkward. I know mum and dad are praying for me. Or my mate over there says he's praying for me. But I'm telling you, everybody in this room who's a believer in Jesus today is going to be praying for you if you don't yet know him, to, to receive the gift of faith that you might know him. And that might feel a bit odd. That might feel a bit weird to know that's what's happening. We're praying for you to meet Jesus and have your life transformed and receive forgiveness. But do you know what would be stranger? It would be stranger if believing in the good news about Jesus, we didn't pray for you. That would be properly weird. Let's pray. Let's pray that someone's story in, within this next year is going to be, I was just walking through the town centre and I heard somebody preaching and sharing about Jesus. And that's where it started for me. Or someone invited me along to Being Men. And that just grabbed my attention. That's where it started. And now I'm a believer in Jesus. These are the things for us to pray about and to enjoy praying about because the Lord answers prayer. Let me give you another one or two. Uh, one at least. I really enjoy this. Uh, you could also turn to John chapter 2. And verse 3. You might know this story. Uh, if not, um, early on, um, at the outset of Jesus' ministry, uh, he was invited to a wedding. And a wedding could last for days, and you couldn't really have one without wine. It might not have been as strong as the stuff that we might be familiar with. Don't need to go into detail. But this is a big party for a lot of people, and it lasts a long time. Uh, but at this particular wedding, there was a problem. And the problem was pointed out by Jesus' mother. She says in John chapter 2, verse 3, when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Now, we could understand that behind what she says to her eldest son is an implied request. She doesn't actually ask him, Jesus, get some more wine, please. But that's clearly the thrust of what she's meaning. And he pushes back on her to start with. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. Maybe she didn't phrase the request perfectly. And we've probably all done that in prayer. But then faith is drawn from her. Next, she's speaking to the servants. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Like, what did she have in mind? What did she think that Jesus was going to do? Was it just like, could you nip down to Aldi? You know, could you, could you muster something up? Could you do a miracle? Like, what did she have in mind? 
How, I wonder how much she thought Jesus could source at such short notice. Well, we're told as it unfolds that there are these six big jars and they're all filled up with water to the brim. And it is estimated that each jar contains perhaps 20 to 30 gallons. That's already a translation on some other measurement. And I thought I would do my own rough and ready calculation and try and work out, okay, how, how many bottles are we talking about? Okay, they, they have no more. It's all gone. That's the situation where it starts. That's the context in which this request comes. Somewhere in the region of six to 900 bottles, you know, 75 centiliter bottle. That's how much wine Jesus made for the benefit of that party that's already been going on for quite a while. And we find out later on when someone tastes it, they say, most people bring out the best wine at the start of the party and then when people have already had too much to drink, why are you making more wine when people have already had too much? I don't know. It's a confused. Anyway, most people do it that way around. But you, and they're just talking to the master, so you've saved the best until now. Six to, let's, just, let's just say it's 750. 750 bottles of, of the best wine saved up. This is about God doing immeasurably more than can be asked or imagined. Mary says they got no more wine. It's not even a proper request, Mary. But Jesus hears it, the servants hear it, and they go for it, and they see what God provides. God can multiply resources. We sometimes come to God trying to imagine precisely how it might work out. We may be facing a bit of a puzzle. What's gonna, what could possibly get this round? Lord God, if, if you scrape a few things together from over there, and, and if you make a few cost efficiency savings from another department, maybe you, almighty, could just kind of deposit a little bit extra. This is the almighty. He just does immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. And um, as leaders in the church, we had a little bit of a flavour of this uh, a few weeks ago, um, I was a bit worried. You know, in any family, financially, there can be little ups and downs. It wasn't as bad as saying, we've got nothing left as a church. It wasn't like that at all. But, you know, COVID savings have had a little bit of a time now to kind of dribble away. Most churches probably want to spend a bit more for the kingdom than they actually receive. So we're kind of looking at some charts and some graphs that are kind of doing this. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to, have to, I'm going to write that email to the trustees, wonderful trustees. Let's be in this together, people. Let's face the facts together. Let's go again with faith. And on the Sunday, when I'm most worrying about it, I find out a couple of weeks later, because God had ordained for the treasurer to go away on holiday for a couple of weeks. I found out that that particular week, when the blue bucket went round, like just something immeasurably more just went into the blue bucket. So, oh God, you, you'd, already, you'd already provided. God is able to do that. Do you know what that has done for us? Is, is not kind of take us, 
take a church out of any potential of ever experiencing, like, ooh, things are a bit tight sometimes, aren't they? Is to say, come on, church. Let's pray. Let's pray for some stuff. Let's pray that God would multiply our resources. There are a few things that we have in mind. Do you know what I'd love to do? I'd love us as a church to make a proper little kitchenette in that back corner so we can just properly serve drinks upstairs. I'm grateful for the guys who do it and sort it out and go upstairs. In 20 years, we've never really used that information point outside the gents. Maybe we could just turn that into something else. Maybe then we could use this building a little bit more because we could have a group doing up here, doing whatever, in the middle of the week, and we can give them a cuppa. And there's a completely different group downstairs using the cafe. And you know what? We can serve them a cuppa as well. And they don't, it doesn't have to be that little awkward moment. We've got a massive building, but sometimes if like three people want to use the cafe downstairs, it feels a bit crowded all of a sudden. Let's just pray that God multiplies our resource. I know so, this, this building is like Marmite. Some people love it. And some people are like, just sell it and go and get something else. God has got promises for us here. But when a family has lived in a house for about 20 years, maybe that family needs to think there's some changes we could make. We don't need to move. But if we knock that wall down, move that wall a bit, redevelop there, I mean, it, that might be like a five-figure sum. I mean, we could have a load of fun downstairs. Because like 20 years of light church life have happened, and like, I wouldn't design it like that now. How weird is this? What are these strange wooden walls that we just never use much? How about we just go crazy and make this building kind of suitable for different groups in the community and elsewhere to use? And then we can have like Christ Central leaders up here having some events once a month. We don't have to say to lots of other groups, oh yeah, you can meet every week if you like, but not that week because we've got like some other people who are using the building. Like, forgive me, there's other things to be praying about as well. But what if God just wants us to go for it, to set ourselves up for another 20 years? And that's not just about this building. That's about finding other sites. And maybe God's going to cause us to buy another building somewhere else so that we can meet in different parts of the city to set ourselves up in God for another 20 years. Might elaborate a little bit more on that, but let's just reckon that God can multiply resources. And let's, let's pray as well that God can multiply miracles. Let me just, uh, I know you're ready for a coffee, so am I, but I still want us to go to Daniel chapter 3. And if you don't know this story, there's an occasion where God's people, they've been taken into exile, they're in another late nation, and three guys referred to by their Babylonian exile names, which I always think is a bit harsh, um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, um, have been found to be praying and to be worshipping uh, God rather than the statue that's been built. As a result, King Nebuchadnezzar is going to punish them. And we're told that the, they're going to be thrown into a furnace. And for their stubborn refusal to bow down to a God that doesn't exist, uh, Nebuchadnezzar has ordered that the furnace be, I don't know how they calculated this, heated up like seven times. I mean, they're going to die anyway if you throw them in there. Like, 
Anyway, he's going to heat it up seven times. They have been, they've been tied, or they're about to be tied up and thrown into this fire. And this is what I... Now, I'm suggesting to you that if they were saying this to their Babylonian oppressors, that this had flavoured their prayers already, okay? And so we find out in Daniel chapter 3, verse 16, that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I think it's Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, um, in a different order, replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it and catch their faith. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. And I just wonder if that has been their prayer. Dear Lord God, if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, we know, O oh God, you are able to deliver us from it. And we believe that you will deliver us from it. But even if you don't deliver us, even if we die in the furnace, give us the courage and strength to always serve you. I think that was their prayer. And as you read on in that chapter, you see what immeasurably more than all they could ask for or imagine played out. It says when the men are brought out of the furnace, their hands were no longer tied. The fire had burned the ropes off and away. And I think it says their whole body was unharmed. I mean, that's amazing. That is answer prayer right there. And then the immeasurably more, above and beyond, just the crazy detail just keeps going. The body was unharmed, doesn't help me. Not a hair of their head was even singed. Body unharmed, hair unsinged, the ties that bound them are off, and they came out not even smelling of smoke. I mean, you go to a fire pit and you sit a couple of meters away from the fire pit in someone else's back garden, and like then you go to put your coat on the next day and you think this absolutely stinks. The smell of smoke is potent. They came out from the furnace not smelling at all. But there's even more than that. The immeasurably more of God answering prayer is that when they were in the flames, someone from a distance could look in and say there aren't just three men there. We can see someone's in the fire with them. Radiant, 
glowing and looking like the son of the gods. We sometimes wonder, don't we, what was it like for Peter to walk on water and for that water to carry his weight? What did it feel like under his feet? I mean, can you imagine the God who's able to do immeasurably more? Can you imagine a furnace and you, you know you are in the flames? What? What does that feel like? It's okay, just another couple of minutes. What does that feel like? And then to look around and I think see the pre-incarnate second person of the Trinity stood with you in the flames. We need to pray. And there are some things that we'll pray about today. And our prayer will be, let their body be completely unharmed. And let them come out, not even with a hint of radiation damage. And we're going to go for it today. Like Daniel's three friends, we could be saying, if he doesn't, we're still going to trust God Almighty. We still know he's good. And maybe there are other situations as well. This is a situation of persecution and I'm applying it to physical healing. Will you trust God to pray big prayers and then see what God does? Because I think it's time for us to make some big requests of God. The God who can do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. And maybe what God will do for the person who's really going through it, who's going through chemo or radiotherapy or chronic illness or open hostility and persecution, maybe the immeasurably more will be that they know fellowship with a suffering saviour and maybe that will be what takes our breath away they knew Emmanuel God with us let's pray for that but let's also pray unscathed unharmed back out and Nebuchadnezzar is bowing the knee to God Multiply salvation, Lord. Multiply resources. Multiply miracles. In Jesus' name, amen.